The Nerdalogs is a Chicago-based sketch group that writes comedy based on shared true, personal stories about our existence as lifelong nerds. We started your stories to give everyone a chance to do what we do, share their own stories, and foster a more heartfelt, welcoming nerd community. Your Stories is about embracing the weird and obscure in your life and asserting your geekdom with a group that gets your references. And, most importantly, Your Stories is a place to bring people up, not to put anyone down. Try to keep your stories around five minutes, laugh at jokes, cry if appropriate, and applaud everyone who has the guts to sit here, tell a story, and come out as a nerd. Hey everyone, my name is Eric Arno, and welcome to the second part of January's The Nerdalogs Present Your Stories Podcast. This episode continues our month of potpourri with a grab bag of stories touching on everything from X-Men comics to tattoos to unflattering pictures of Anne Hathaway. Uh, your stories this time out comes to you from technical wizard Sean Patrick Boyle, sketch comedians Keith Buzzard and Charlie Madsen, and DePaul radio DJ Shelby Mongan. Plus, you get the usual music from myself and Dwight Hassler. Uh, lots of exciting stuff happening for the Nerdalogs in 2013, folks. First of all, are you in Chicago? And do you like the game Cards Against Humanity? If so, come check out Nerds Against Humanity this Friday, January 18th at IO Chicago, 3541 North Clark at midnight. Uh, we're doing an improvised show based around a game of cards, and here's the really cool thing about it. We will have some of the game's creators in-house to join us for the fun. Uh, this is super awesome, and tickets are only $5, so if you want to go, I would buy your ticket sooner rather than later, because this show will almost definitely sell out. Uh, another exciting thing, as of this Sunday, the 20th, your stories will have an all-new home. We are the first show to take place at the just-opened Public House Theater, 3914 North Park Street in Chicago. Uh, we're about a mile and a half south of where we used to record. Uh, and one cool thing about that is that there is a lot more free parking for people who drive. The show is, as always, free to attend, and for now, it's still BYOB. Uh, to celebrate our new digs, the theme this month is, appropriately, New Beginnings. So write a story about whatever that makes you think of and come share it on this very podcast. Uh, finally, thanks as always, everybody, for all of your support. Uh, if you'd like to throw a few dollars our way to help cover the cost of web hosting and producing this show, you can do so uh, using a donate button on the side of our homepage at yourstories.podbean.com. Uh, we appreciate you guys listening, and we will talk again soon. So this is a song Dwight and I used to play in a band a long time ago. We haven't played together in like a year. You guys got to help me on the chorus, and you'll know it when you get to it. Hold on, little girl. Show me what he's done to you. Stand up, little girl. A broken heart can't be that bad when it's through. It's through. Fate will twist the both of you. So come on, baby. Come on over. Let me be the one to show you. I'm the one who wants to. Deep inside I hope you 
line of greens and blues. Wait on a line of greens. What? Wait on a line and then sing the other part. Greens and blues. Yeah. No, that's fine. Whatever. Anyway, hey, hey, do we look like Mr. Big to you? Our sound engineer, he just had a baby Sean Boyle, everybody. Um, I realize that the baby is the star of the show tonight. Thank you all for pretending like the rest of us matter. Logan, gonna tell a story too? Uh, he, we're working on storytelling. <laughs> Solid foods, then, 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 then 3X structure. <laughs> I've, I've missed you guys. It's been, it's been a while, so um, thank you. About nine months ago, I entered the new world of baby talk. Conversations about babies. And one of the more interesting ones for me were people telling me what would change once it happens. And it was a lot of the typical, like, oh, you'll be, you know, stressed out, you'll never sleep, et cetera, et cetera. But some of them got kind of a little bit more personal with people that knew me, um, knew my political views and such. And uh, one of them was, well, you're probably going to end up believing in God. That didn't change. <laughs> so holding on to the A card, it was as <laughs> it was as primitive and uh, unmagical as. <laughs> special, yeah. Uh, Your son's gonna hear this. That's okay. It, get, it gets it gets worse. <laughs> This, I set these up to ease you guys into my world here. And then the next one was um, the other A word, abortion. So I'm still pro-choice. And I'm okay with that. And I'm okay with someone disagreeing. You know, it's a, a different perspective. Whatever. The one thing that no one talked about that did change, and it's what changed the most, is I did not respect women enough. I mean, and I'll tell you, pre-birth, I could hit all the feminist talking points. You know, the right to choose, uh, the Lily Ledbetter Fair Pay Act, um, and I would always carry on the little, um, uh, the little statistic that since 1950, um, the amount of surgeons that were women was around 1%, and now today it's somewhere around 51 to 52%. That big of a gap has been in one of the most prestigious uh, fields of science we have. And so I had all those talking points. So I would sound very pro, pro women, but inside, <laughs> I was pretty anti women. <laughs> Purely on the basis of, uh, you know, objectifying more of the perversion, sexuality, and of that nature. And that's, that's the one thing I saw was you have a completely different relationship with the vagina and the breasts. They have a whole new context. And I can honestly say we don't respect women enough. That's, that's as much of detail I'm comfortable getting into. 
so I, I've been inspired to find a way to kind of show the new, quote unquote, real feminist Sean Boyle. And um, I made a mistake. And this happened after the birth, so I don't have an excuse. And I need to apologize to a celebrity for this mistake. <laughs> so um, I've written a letter to Miss Anne Hathaway. <laughs> Dear Miss Hathaway, at the premiere for the film Les Miserables. <laughs> I even googled the phonetic pronouncement. As you stepped out of your vehicle, a photographer accidentally captured an image of your vagina. When I heard this news, I was appalled. Or I would have been if I wasn't busy googling Anne Hathaway's crop. After indulging my curiosity, I have been hearing two sides debate whether it was your responsibility to prevent such a circumstance, or was there an ethical onus for the photographer to delete the image? These two arguments were uncomfortably, uncomfortably clashed during an interview you had with Matt Lauer on the Today Show. During this interview, you implicated my doing in this moral dilemma, and I quote, I'm sorry that we live in a culture that commodifies the sexuality of an unwilling participant. I need to right this wrong, not only for my own peace of mind, but also for my five-week-old son, because it is my responsibility to set a standard for how people should be treated. I want my son to believe that we all possess the ability to do what is right, and when our actions fall short of our beliefs, we look inward before blaming others. And I offer, you, I offer to you my sincerest apologies for contributing towards this intrusive and objectifying culture. I submit to you the only objective consequence that can make things right between us. And I staged a mock image of me getting out of a car. <laughs> and you can find this on my blog. <laughs> Lessonsforavery.com. <laughs> Not a willing participant, and it is not flattering. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Sean. Uh, just so everybody knows, Anne Hathaway totally listens to this podcast, so <laughs> message received. Um, friend of the podcast, Anne Hathaway. She says she's going to come to one of these. I, uh, she's got to. You know, next time she's in town. Yeah, next time she's in town, totally. Uh, next up, we have a newcomer to the show with a kick-ass name, Keith Buzzard, everybody. <laughs> So, uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Keith Buzzard. Um, I was in the sketch comedy group World's Best Dad with a few people here. Yeah. <clears throat> Deep cut. Yep. So, uh, I'm more comfortable with uh, writing sketches and like performing what was written. Uh, speaking in public is not something I enjoy. Um, even though I am a middle child, I do not like attention. Uh, makes me nervous, and I kind of have to pee. And it feels like I have boogers in my nose right now. Uh, but I came to one of these Nerdlogs uh, events. It was at my favorite, or one of my favorite comic book shops in the city, Challengers. 
<laughs> and uh, I, people were getting up and sharing their stories, and it's like these are like normal people. Like they're not like performers per se or whatever, but they're getting up and telling stories, and it's really great. And it's like I saw that, and I was like, I could do this. Like I could do this so much better than all these other people. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, but yeah, uh, I've never done like stand-up stuff before, uh, so there's that. <laughs> oh, they say um, it's customary in stand-up to like start with a joke. I don't know if that's true or not, but um, and I took speech class in college, like many people did, and I got a C, which is average. But if you look at <laughs> People who public speak, on the average, they're not nervously wondering what to do with their hands or <laughs> reading every other sentence in their speech. So that was, I was drunk most of the time. <laughs> but yeah, I gotta see. Um, for those of you who do know me, uh, I love comic books. Uh, I spend most of my like free time reading them or going to comic book shops. Uh, and actually, in my apartment right now, we have this cabinet that's built into a wall. With like drawers and glass uh, doors that open up and you can see inside of it or like it's currently in my comic book shrine and it's like starts like waist high goes almost up to the ceiling just completely full of comic books it's like where most people would have like pictures of family members <laughs> or like memorabilia or like yeah i have a series that's about fairy tale characters that live in new york in current times <laughs> uh, yeah we know what you're talking about yeah <laughs> sure and uh, so yeah, I love comic books. My first comic book I ever bu comic book I ever bought was Uncanny X Men one twenty nine, which is the first appearance of Kitty Pride, who is a great character. <laughs> but uh, my mom found it and threw it away, which I thought was rash. <laughs> and to be honest, a bit hypocritical because she loved soap operas. It's like, Mom, these two things are so intertwined. <laughs> Comic books are soap operas. Like, you go to, like, she watched, I don't know what it was, uh, uh, As the World Turns or something like that. And uh, it's like, Mom, you see this, like, love triangle right here? This, like, girl's in love with these two guys. I imagine one of the dudes gets power from the sun and <laughs> lasers out of his eyes. And the other guy has a skeleton that's coated with unbreakable steel. <laughs> essentially the same thing as what you're watching. <laughs> and, and so yeah, she's like threw it out. But like, that's why I like comic books is because the character development is so long running. And you have all this history. And like it started... Like comic books existed before this point, but Stan Lee like in 1963 or whatever it was, introduced the X-Men. And it was interesting because they had all these amazing powers, but they also had the human faults and, like, they got upset, they had emotions and all of that, which is cool. It's just cool. They hadn't really done that to that at that point before. <clears throat> but, uh... Yeah. Uh, shit, where's I going with this? <laughs> <laughs> um... Well, let's bring up the X-Men. Uh, everyone's familiar with, like, the movies that they did. Uh, but, like, I had really big issues with, like, the casting of some of those characters. Uh, like, Patrick Stewart as Xavier is fantastic. That's a given as Xavier. And, uh, but then they really, really dropped the ball 
like, uh, the Beast was Kelsey Grammer. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's like, um, they're having a casting meeting. It's like, well, this character is Dr. Hank McCoy, and he's a doctor, he's well-spoken. It's like, who's a doctor that could play this? It's like, Frasier is a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Frasier, done, moving on. It's like, what does he look like? What's his uniform? It's like, well, he's a blue, like, cat person. Like the Cowardly Lion. Let's make him look like the Cowardly Lion. <laughs> that was really not good. And uh, even like Ian McKellen as Magneto. Like he's a great actor and he was fantastic as like Gandalf. But as Magneto, it's like really like I, I was disappointed. Magneto is a strong, dynamic character, and this is like an old man like in this role. <laughs> <laughs> Although, I, like, when I first saw, like, the poster for, like, the first X-Men movie, it's like, Magneto! It's like, well, that's a really bold choice, like, casting one of the Golden Girls as Magneto. <laughs> 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 oh, but, uh, that's all I got. <laughs> Man, if any comic book in ever is like a soap opera, it's Chris Claremont's run of X-Men. Like... Good lord. Um, Charlie! Charlie Madsen, come on up, dude. Alright, good to be back. Uh, the first Nerdalogs I came to was a few months ago, which was the Theories episode. Right? I thought it was, it was, yeah, alright. I had an amazing time, and each month has been a joy to present all of my hidden secrets <laughs> in front of an open audience. And... Uh, for this month, of course, it seemed like it would be a challenge having such an open-ended idea because I got a whole lot of crazy in here. Uh, but the one thing that stuck in my head was what would I have done if I would have written for the theories one? And so I decided to write that. Oh, cool. Yeah. So first, let me say I love analogies. To me, an analogy is like a painting. It simplifies the grandest thoughts and concepts into a relatable piece of beauty that easily translates into your brain. And yes, I did just use an analogy to describe it. Hey, you guys got to that joke before. I, did. I, don't, I don't even know why I fucking said it. Smarter than me. So, uh, my theory slash analogy is that relationships are like the legend of Zelda. <laughs> most people know the legend of Zelda as the most successful video game franchise of all time. One of them, sorry, not the most, you know, arguable. An adventure game filled with puzzles and action. But I see it as a journey of love, and not in the obvious ways that you would assume. Yes, you have a male hero on a quest to save a princess, and that basic level is, premise is very clear. Uh, even the constant search for hearts, big and small, back that up. But no, this is a less obvious thing. This is about Lincoln for love in all the wrong places. <laughs> Nailed it. This pun's for you. <laughs> They're nice. I surmise <clears throat> that every romantic relationship you endure is much like a temple level in the land of Hyrule. <laughs> you journey through the darkness with no map. There are many puzzles and obstacles. Rooms filled with keys and goblins, perhaps. <laughs> there are small tasks which both frustrate and excite you. <laughs> but the beauty of all of this as a gamer is that as you approach each new challenge, you gain certain skills that make you a better warrior in the ways of love. 
The true beauty of the temple is the weaponry you achieve. Each weapon gives you skills and strength. The mirror shield is knowing how to empathetically listen to someone without feeling the need to talk. The hook shot is knowing the exact place to kiss someone on the neck. Yes, these great tools are the most exciting things of the temple. Sadly though, it's rare that we find true love on our first try, and thusly, every breakup we have with an ex-boyfriend or ex-girlfriend is the showdown with the temple boss. <laughs> the only way you can exit the temple is to defeat them and not let their batshit crazy ability to inflict pain kill you first. <laughs> but once we win, once we have moved on, we are better and stronger for it. In your bottle of tiny hearts, deep inside you know that the wood of the Deku forest and its trees are dark, lovely, and deep, but you have promises to keep and hundreds of reanimated skeletons to slay before you sleep. I was drunk when I wrote this. If you're unlucky in love, you have a chance and you, you have had the chance in many relationships and every time one of them fails, just remind yourself that it was all practice until you meet the mega boss. <laughs> Nothing in life is a failure or a loss if you cannot grow from it. Wait. And it isn't a failure until... All right, you, get, oh, you know what I'm saying. I, I forgot some words. <laughs> just know that when the time comes, you will be the best warrior that you can be and you will be ready to have your Zelda. Uh, to channel Bill for a minute and say I think I think Bill would have uh, would have loved that. <laughs> Thank you very much, Charlie. Uh, we got one more before our halfway point. Miss Shelby Mongan, come on up. It's really good advice. I'm just gonna play more Ocarina of Time instead of get dating. So. <laughs> okay. So. Um, also, I may not have finished the story, so we're gonna get to the meaning at the end together as a team. <laughs> So, um, in Japan, um, at the beginning of the Yakuza, tattoos were used by the government to mark criminals. I mean, what they would do is they would tattoo their arms or their faces uh, with symbols according to what they had done. And it was a way for them to brand these people forever. Um, and the Yakuza, um, being fairly inclined towards crime and other crime-like things, um, had a tendency to amass a lot of these tattoos. And so, what they would do um, is they began to tattoo over top of them. Um, and it became, over time, a tradition uh, that showed their, their strength, their merit as a warrior. They would get tattoos um, from their wrist to their neck to their ankles, completely covered, like they were wearing a ridiculous long john, skin tight, <laughs> covered in traditional Japanese art. Incredibly painful, and it's the old stick and poke style, but beautiful, beautiful traditional artwork. Um, and I have always really loved that story, not just because I'm a quarter Japanese, although that does help, um, but that story's always stuck with me, and I think it's because in the story, uh, it sort of seems to fit the traditional tattooed stereotypes, that it's these badass deviants of society, and they're, they're rebelling, and they're doing something dangerous and, and, um, and hard against the good people and the, and the clean people. Um, and I think there's an element there, the Yakuza were kind of not great at certain things, but... 
I think there's something else at play that I really love about that story. And for me, it was because the tattoos were an outward symbol of who they were inside. They were criminals, but they were warriors, and they were united with their family in this tradition in the Yakuza. And so all of these things were like inside of them, and they were crucial to the, who they were as people. Um, and they, the tattoos gave them an opportunity to have them outside and to show them. So I never thought I'd say these words in this order, but I agree with the Yakuza. <laughs> um, for those of you that haven't noticed or don't know me, um, I'm fairly well tattooed. Um, not necessarily heavily, um, but I've got quite a few visible, visible ones. Um, I started getting tattooed when I was 18 years old, um, a couple months after my birthday. I haven't stopped since, and I only have as few as I do because tattoos are expensive. Um, and there's really no sign of me stopping. I love them. I'm really passionate about them. I love to talk about them. Um, and so tonight, my piece for you all are, um, is a couple observations from being a visibly tattooed person and some of the weird shit that happens um, when you have ink on your skin. So first of all, I think it's interesting. Um, I'm somewhat well endowed, and so I've kind of been used to the whole, like, my eyes are up here. Like, look at my eyes. Um, that happens to me on occasion, but I never thought that people would be staring at my arms when that happened. Um, that's not a normal thing, but I cannot tell you how many conversations I've had where people are talking to me, but they're not looking at me. They're looking at my biceps, and it's not because I got guns. <laughs> and they're not listening. They're kind of politely nodding. They're sort of talking to me, but I want to sort of snap in their face, and my eyes are up here. Um, and... I'm not necessarily like the asshole that gets really mad if people want to look at my tattoos, that's fine, I don't care. I got ink drawn into my skin. I understand it's a little weird if you can look, you can look at it, that's fine. But focus on the task at hand. Some advice from a tattooed person is focus, talk to them. We are people, we have feelings, not just art. Um, and I will say, there are few things more uncomfortable and obnoxious than the checker in line at Dominic's touching you. <laughs> I wish I made that up, but I'm not. Um, people are, are curious beings, and that's awesome um, that got us out of a primordial, primordial ooze and got us here. Um, but they have this thing where when they're curious, they want to touch it, and when it's a person, they seem to not care that it's a person. Um, and so, like, when you go to the Art Institute, you're not going to touch the Monet. Like, you're not going to want to touch those paintings. And hopefully, you're not going to be touching up on strangers that you meet um, in public. But for some reason, when you mix the two, people seem fine with it. Um, so, more advice. Um, ask nicely if you want to touch someone's skin. Um, and if they say no, feel free to not touch them then. Respect that. Um, and I think it's just, it's funny, it's, people told me that people would view me differently, um, and people would, parts of my life would be different when I got visibly tattooed, and I sort of brushed it off, um, partially because in my head I was polite to people that were tattooed, I tried not to touch them or stare at them in weird places, um, and so I assumed that other people would do the same. Um, but it's interesting now that people are a little disoriented by them, um, and, and learning how to adapt and how to do things differently. Um, and there's definitely those questions of, well, do you, did it hurt? Which is a stupid question. Of course it hurt. Uh, or do you regret this decision, um, getting them so young? And, and I think it's interesting for me. And, and I've thought about it a lot, um, especially trying to get a part-time job and finding out I can't work at Starbucks, which in the end is actually okay with me. <laughs> um, because I couldn't regret these because in my head and in my mind, like the Yakuza, the, the art that I have on my skin was already a part of me. In my mind, the pieces that I had were already there. It was just a matter of getting them um, onto my skin. And so 
that's why, to me, I'm passionate about tattooing, um, and I'm passionate about talking about it, and I love the pieces that I have. Yes, they might limit my job opportunities in the future. Yes, some people are going to look at me funny, um, and some people might turn their children away, uh, or, or think that I might be more rebellious or cool than I am, which I am neither of those things, but I don't regret them because to me they're as much of a part of me as, as my skin, as my hair. And so I might not be a warrior, but I definitely understand that letting your insides show on the outside. Thank you. Not, not for personal use, but out of curiosity, what is the polite way to ask someone if you can touch their skin? <laughs> How does that even come up? Well, normally it's only if people know you. If you don't know someone, there's probably not any good reason to Yeah, I feel like there's not a great way to broach that. Hey, Dwight, you want to do you want to introduce it? Dwight? This is this is your idea. What? Why don't you say a, say a few words about this song? Why? Because I don't know anything about it. Neither do I. Yes. <laughs> Fuck you. You, you need your guitar for this, though, right? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh, he's catching up. Yeah. I don't know. I just I listened to the song before and it's, yeah. I've heard an acoustic version. And I'm like, ah, oh, Eric and I can do that. That's that's literally all it is. <laughs> I just made you tell your first story, Dwight. Oh. oh. <laughs> if it's not call me, maybe I'm gonna be really mad. <laughs> it's not. Well, then you're gonna be mad. Uh, <laughs> one, two, three, four. Yeah.
soundtrack. Okay. The Nerdalogs present Your Stories is sponsored by the Chicago sketch comedy troupe The Nerdalogs and is recorded the third Sunday of every month at the Upstairs Gallery in Chicago, 6219 North Park Street. The stories you hear have been prepared and presented by the speakers on a volunteer basis. Your Stories is recorded and co-produced by Sean Patrick Boyle. Our theme song comes from the band State Shirts. For more information on The Nerdalogs, Your Stories, and more, go to www.nerdalogs.com.